in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Watching Comics Podcast is back, and spoiler alert right out of the way because I can't contain my excitement anymore. Jake, J.K. Simmons is friggin' back. Oh my gosh. Okay, there it is. So there are going to be so many spoilers tonight, to this morning, whenever you listen. Hello, good morning. In this it's it's, it's going to be all over the place. So brace yourselves, buckle in. If you haven't seen Endgame, go see that thing. If you because ha- we got to get it across the Avatar finish line somehow, and if you haven't seen Spider Man, you really need to wait. But there it is. Yes, the man himself has returned. This has been a really good week for us, and for things we either asked for or predicted on this show. Right? It's been absolutely incredible. Like Jay, I can't even I can't even fathom how much influence we are bringing to the entertainment arena. It's the weather. The weather and air is thin up here. That's really all I've got to say. Yeah, I I would agree with that because because we got from our very original, very first shut up and give it to me episode. A Sandman Netflix adaptation is coming with Neil Gaiman's involvement. Yeah. So shout out to the Netflix executives who've been longtime subscribers of the Watching Comics podcast. Uh, We're still waiting for our checks to arrive in the mail, but we are happy to contribute. Yeah, and I would take a producer's credit, but please do not do what my workplace does and forget the S at the end of Owens. <laughs> yeah, because Jake Owen is a completely different guy that probably has a full head of hair, and we don't need you getting confused with that. Exactly. A full head of hair and a lot of my mail. So, um, <laughs> but man, J.K. Simmons is back. We asked for that. I don't know how many times we've said on the show, like, that's the single most important thing to us about. <laughs> This Spider-Man reboot, because I, I, I mean, seriously, like people freak out about the littlest stuff when they cast superheroes. And I'm like, man, or when, or when it, they're like, oh, did you see the Easter eggs, the Easter eggs? Oh, man, <laughs> it, it's like cast a 79 year old woman as Peter Parker. I do not care. But you get me freaking J.K. Simmons in there as J. Jonah Jameson. And they did it. They delivered. Did it. Oh, Dude. OK. So like um, <laughs> I. I it's so interesting to when, when he popped up on screen, I applauded. Like I cheered. I, I verbally. Oh, yeah. gave, so I was, I was in a movie theater with like maybe 70 other people. It wasn't full, but it was, it was relatively well attended. And he popped up on screen and I just went, yes. And a couple of people looked <laughs> over at me and then I started to like raise my hands to clap. And then I realized no one else was there with me. So I didn't do it. But immediately in my head, I was like, I know somewhere, in Omaha, Jake is doing the same thing, and I know that that's probably going to be the biggest takeaway from anyone that listens to this episode is no matter what we thought about the Spider-Man movie, we're just happy that J.K. is back because we are officially a J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson Stan podcast. I And I want to be really clear. This is not just like – like that. that performance is the most perfect – representation of a character brought from comic to screen that I've ever seen. But I want to be really clear that I legitimately think JK Simmons is probably one of my very favorite actors. When I see that he's in something, I I'm just like, well, that's probably something I'll need to see. Um, Whiplash JK biceps, man. Oh my gosh. Right. When he got all ripped to play commissioner Gordon (laughs) and then wore a trench coat the whole time. Oops. But so like, yeah. So you know that like, underneath that that exterior right like 
J. Jonah Jameson could totally get in there and like box the vulture or something. I don't think he could fight Spidey, but he's he's ready to go. Yeah, he could mix it up. He really could. And the thing is, is like I, we said it before, but I don't think we can understate like if we're talking Mount Rushmore for best casting decisions ever in comic book movies, he's got one of the spots. Yes, I, absolutely. Like, I mean, it's it's so perfect. It's it's like you could recast almost any role and you're never going to upset me as much as if they had recast this i don't think because it's so perfect they nailed it good job kudos to you marvel i'll probably go see this movie like three more times just for that scene and i might even buy a ticket to a showing i can't make it to just to vote for my support well done (laughs) because people vote with their dollars and their butts and yeah yeah frick the world is a better place knowing that J.K. Simmons is sitting on the Jameson throne. But then when J.K. Simmons pops up, I, I immediately texted you and I said, have you seen it? Have you seen it? And then I texted my wife and I was just like, I, I was like, I don't know if you're asleep. I, I don't know. But you know how big a deal it is to me. J.K. Simmons is still in it. He's in it. He's J. Jonah he's, Jameson. And he's doing it. He's doing He saved every he saved life as we know it. He's, oh, it's just like this frantic series of texts to like anyone that I thought would listen or would at least not block my phone number for texting at 12, 15 AM central. Um, and some of those messages I sent were going to the East coast. So I know it was later there, okay. but it just became this frenzy. Like, ah, I don't care how the movie was. Why are you asking me how the movie was? JK Simmons is back. Yeah, but um, priorities people, but here's right? the, deal. the real reason we're here. One more time. <laughs> we are going to say spoiler alert. Jake. We are so many spoilers. On- so many spoilers. We are here to dish on Spider-Man Far From Home. I have lots of thoughts, and I'm sure they're not even as many as the thoughts that you have. So let's – the people have waited long enough. Let's give them what they want. Let's dive right in. Jake, give me your initial take on the latest – on the third installment of a second Spider-Man movie. <laughs> <laughs> I think you tweeted that, right? Spider-Man 2, number 3? Yeah, um, it was something to the effect of like, and now for the third, second Spider-Man. That's right. Um, well, I, I think that I'm going to dive right in and we will break this movie down. Um, I'm going to confess, first of all, to a recency bias where Spider-Man is concerned, um, because with the exception of Spider-Man 3, every time I've left a theater having watched a Spider-Man movie, there's about a 24 hour hangover where I'm like, this is the greatest film experience of my life. I would give three times the money just to see half of that. Like I'm freaking out just cause I love this character so much. I am going to say that I absolutely loved this movie. And I think that we have right now, if you like me are a Spider-Man fan and you, you think of him as kind of your, your tip top fictional character like I do, there's an embarrassment of riches because we're in the position where we have to figure out what's the best Spider-Man movie. Is it Sam Raimi's Spider-Man two? Is it into the spider verse or is it far from home? And that's a heck of a great problem to have. But I think that's, so that kind of frames for me, the company I think it's in. I think it understands the character I think it understands the universe. It perfectly melds this solo Spidey thing with the bigger Avengers universe in a way that is true to both while still working in the MCU. And I can't say enough good about it other than I I think that sums it up that I think it's in that three-way brawl for best Spider-Man film. 
So you you think Far From Home is better than Homecoming? I do. Um, I when, actually when, I I've kind of cooled on Homecoming, and not like I'd like it less, but I've gotten more rational in my response to it. Um, where when Homecoming first came out, and you know, because this was like the prequel to watching comics was our Homecoming discussion. Um, yeah, and you you placed Home, and granted, this was before Spider Verse and stuff, but like you placed Homecoming at the top of the pantheon. And I and I think I stand by that to an extent because I think at the time, what truly blew me away about Homecoming is that while Raimi, the Raimi Spider Man films and the Amazing films both were were great in their own right, uh, Raimi's more so. You know, I, I think Amazing is better than people think, but I also don't want to give it more credit than it deserves. Um, You're saying it's less than amazing. Yeah. Hey, um, <laughs> I, I think that um, what, what truly blew me away about homecoming is I thought it was the one that most understood Spider-Man as a mythology and Peter Parker as a character. Um, since then, we've had a lot of projects kind of reframe themselves with that understanding it's it's kind of like homecoming cracked the code and suddenly suddenly people seem to understand like filmmakers and you know i won't get into this tonight but video games as well have really kind of figured out what makes spidey tick in a much clearer way and so we've seen like spider verse peter tingle if you will the Peter Tingle Spider Verse took the um, that Spider Man mythology part of it to a whole different level and ran with it in an amazing way. Um, Far from Home takes what worked about Homecoming and cranks it up to ten. And then I think you still have to go back to Spider Man Two is just such an amazing achievement, big picture as far as superhero films go that I, I think that just based on its standing historically, it has to get in that conversation. So because of that, it's not that I don't like homecoming anymore. It's that I think that I have to be fair and say that if I'm going to put these three as the top, then I have to say that homecoming sits right there on the outside looking in, but not because it's any less amazing than I thought at the time. Wow. There's a lot to unpack there. Um, I've thought about this. It's just a bit, and yeah. <laughs> the, the good the good news is, is I mean, going in, I knew no one was going to have thought about it more than you, and I appreciate having you on this podcast for that very reason. So I'm glad that you delivered. Expectations met. Um, but I've been two things. One, I just don't know. I think I'm comfortable saying that Spider-Verse is not only the greatest Spider-Man movie, but it, it, it vaults into the conversation of the short list of like best comic book movies made yet. So when, when I, when I'm considering ranking Spider-Man movies, it's like everything starts at second place because until I see something more remarkable, Spider-Verse is untouchable. I don't know how you feel about that, but that's just kind of, kind of how I've got it filed away in my brain. No, I, th- I think that's pretty fair because I think Spider-Verse is a really big accomplishment. Here's my, here's my problem with trying to be fair about this is that objectively I can look at it and say that Spider-Verse is such an incredible achievement with 
what it does on so many levels, juggling, it keeps so many balls in the air successfully. It, it rethinks animation at a time where everything is a Pixar clone. Um, it, it expands the Spider-Man mythology for the common viewer. It does so many great things, but at the end of the day, it is a Miles Morales story. And I absolutely love Miles and I have needed a Miles movie so badly. But for me, there's this little bit of just emotional, Peter is my Spider-Man that I grew up with. It's kind of like, you know, I, I tweeted a little bit with um, our friends at Batman's bookcase a while back about Wally West is my flash. And it's not that I don't like Barry Allen. It's been awesome, but I, Wally's my guy. And so it's like, I love Miles. I think Miles is important. I think Miles is high quality. And I think that Miles, objectively speaking, probably has the best Spider-Man film. But there's this emotional connection for me with the classic Peter Parker that is really hard for me to detach from. So that's part of my like challenge with this discussion about Spider-Man is that there's a different level of little kid response to this character that I'm never going to totally shake, where I'm always going to be remembering how exciting it was to see that first Sam Raimi movie. I'm always going to remember that, you know, Spidey was the first superhero that I really, really dove deep into. And so there's always just this little bit of problem with me where I know that I'm not being fully objective. So uh, does that make sense? Does that track here? No, that's fair. I mean, nostalgia is a heck of a drug. Yeah, man. I, I just don't know if it's ever possible for anybody to quit it cold turkey. That's just the reality of the situation. I'm like, in the era you and I came up with, so it's like the age in which you found comic books, Spider-Man became your first gateway into a flagship character. And then you were probably launched right into the Saturday morning cartoon arena of Spider-Man, which was all Peter Parker as well, while you're mm-hmm. going through your coming of age years and your hair of loss years. Like I was and the, <laughs> And then you get that first Raimi movie, too. So it's like all these big seminal moments of, of the comic book arena for you are are being built. Like the pillars are built on on Parker's shoulders. So it's like how how do you cast that off completely? I just don't think that's possible. But yeah. here's my bold statement that I've been debating on whether or not I'm com- I was comfortable saying on the Internet. I'm going to say it anyway. Because would it be an episode without me saying something that would potentially get get you riled up or get a tweet sent <laughs> at me from the wrong person? So here's this. Do you think it's possible to say that I loved Spider-Man Far From Home, thought it was a great movie and a heck of a fun time at the movie theater, and still say it was my least favorite of the Spider-Man 2s? Interesting. Wow. Even more than amazing. No, it's totally fair. You can, I I think that, you know, if I'm going to come in with an emotional response, then you're totally allowed to be like, I prefer this, you know? And so, um, no, I think that's what we're talking about, but that's, that's interesting. So, so talk to me about this. Talk to me about, cause what really intrigues me is, is amazing Spider-Man two, which I think we've both defended a bit here while still being honest about its shortcomings. Talk to me about that versus Far From Home. Okay, so one of the, one of these days, maybe in the in the far far future, we're going to have to break down the Amazing series. Um, I agree. Yeah, it, it's it's one that I want to revisit anyway. But um, I've 
ever since 2014, I have found myself being a much more fierce defender of the amazing Spider-Man two than I ever thought I was going to be. I went to the movie theater, made my wife go with me to go see it. Um, and we watched it. And when it was done, I was like, you know what? That was a really good comic book movie. And then I started to think about it. And I was like at 2014 at the time, like I could, I could have easily built the case that it was in the conversation as on the short list of one of the better comic book movie sequels, not, not named dark Knight. Cause at 2014, we were still ramping up into the sequel game. Right. So, and then I remember feeling that way. And then like a week later, seeing a bunch of people just kind of ragging on it and I didn't understand why. And so it's like the amazing Spider-Man two isn't a favorite movie of mine. But in, at least in the comic book movie arena, it's probably the one that I've defended the most that didn't involve Superman. And, and, and I think it's because I loved the chemistry between Garfield and Stone, Emma Stone. Absolutely. And Garfield. I thought it was great. And there's something to be said about we, we needed Gwen. St if we're going to have, what are we up to? Like eight Spider-Man movies. Now, if we're going to have eight Spider-Man movies, we have to have the Gwen Stacy narrative captured on big budget film. It has to be, we have to have it. And we, and we do now. And I thought even with its overcrowded um, villainry, the the campiness of Paul Giamatti's cameo was kind of great. Dane DeHaan's a, a really really good actor, despite how silly they they made him look when he actually <laughs> pulled Goblin. And I thought Jamie Foxx did a great job. But the, the the big takeaway was like the Gwen Stacy spoiler alert death in the clock tower was incredibly well done, and I thought a very well earned emotional moment. And I I don't know. I think I find myself wanting to and reliving the amazing Spider-Man two on a more regular basis than I ever thought I would. I defend it quite a bit. So that said, I guess my, my one gripe about, about far from home was like, I love Tom Holland as Peter Parker. I love Zendaya as MJ. She's, remarkably amazing and i love i love the play on the friendship that they have with neil and everything like that and i thought jake gyllenhaal um was kind of like hearkening back to those willem dafoe performances from that that first mm. spider-man movie in all the right ways and that made me feel really really good i just i don't know i felt like far from home Maybe this is just a personal preference. I felt like Far From Home veered a little bit too much into the realm of we've got to pave the way for the next chapter of MCU Avengers lore rather than just letting Spider-Man have a Spider-Man story. Um, I, I don't know. That that was my big, my only one real big gripe about that movie was as much as I loved it, as great as it was, it was like, man, that was an awful lot of Avengers world building for a movie that's supposed to be just Spider-Man. Um, but I also know that maybe I'm just being a little bit too nitpicky because we're like 45 movies deep into the MCU now. So I just, <laughs> talk, I just talked for a long time. You, you take the floor and you tell me how wrong I am. No, I'm not going to do that because I think that, um, I'm going to try and focus on Far From Home because I, I agree with you that we need an amazing retrospective episode. Um, so I'm going to save some thoughts for there. And um, I'm going to not 
go straight down that path and I'm going to focus on far from home and I'm going to say, I, I see, I see the problem with the overconnectedness, not overconnectedness. That's not the right word. That's not accurate. The, um, overemphasis maybe on the MCU. Um, I think that for me, what works so well about far from home is that what, what I said about homecoming that I truly loved there, there were two big things was, first of all, that the um, the use of Michael Keaton's vulture was at the time revolutionary. Since then, we've gotten Thanos. Uh, we've gotten Killmonger. The, um, say what? Killmonger. Yeah, Killmonger. we've had who is, you know, the the ultimate right now for me of these these villains in the MCU. Um and so uh, to me, I needed a villain that I, I needed a villain that spoke to something bigger. Um, I need a villain that he didn't need to be relatable because I don't think Mysterio was that. But Mysterio to me embodied this disenfranchisement with with bigness with globalization, if I'm going to get you some political verbiage there, um, Mysterio embodied this in a different way, this concept that the vulture did of the guy who has been kicked to the curb by, again, we have Tony Stark representing that role and you've got Spider-Man who is trying to be this little guy's hero who gets sucked into this fight and I thought that there was a lot of awesome subtlety to that conflict. Um, you know, we've talked before about my love of subtlety in in storytelling, and I thought that a lot of it was left open to the viewer's interpretation, which, again, I love. Um, and so I thought that Mysterio worked on that level. Mysterio as a character was a little bit mustache twirly, um, but that wasn't fine. a bad thing. And I, I Say think- what? I, I think Gyllenhaal's performance was a good balance of the two. Or like, I think yes, I, I don't think any. It's not like Patrick Wilson and Aquaman, where you watch Aquaman mm-hmm. and it feels like everybody in that cast recognizes they're making a Steven Seagal movie, except for Patrick Wilson, who's trying yes. to earn an Oscar, right? Yes, yes, like, yes. <laughs> G- G- Gyllenhaal was one hundred percent leaning into that blend of like, okay, guys, I know that I'm wearing a fishbowl and a purple cape. So I'm, I'm just going to kind of really enjoy the ride and you're going to enjoy watching me enjoy the ride. But yes. here's my thing. First of all, the way they just captured the aura of Mysterio in the, in the film was incredible because there are about a million and a half ways that character could have just looked way too goofy to be cool. And and, yes. and they, they did it phenomenally well. And we we deserve to have Mysterio done well on the screen. So So bravo for that. But can I say this? Like... I I was really disappointed in how we got the backstory of Mysterio. You know, we, we talk all the time about show me, don't tell me. And we The I, scene in the bar? The scene in the bar was just this one, a, go run with it, because I think we feel the same. It was a massive missed opportunity. And I couldn't help but think at the end of that scene, I went I said to myself, really? That's how they're gonna do it? And then I immediately went back to our conversation that we had when we talked about homecoming for the first time and we raved about how great vulture was and the whole 
tension between his character, how he got roped into the narrative, and also how he interacted with Peter was done so subtly. And we were both just like, wow, a director remembered that they were doing a visual medium and we could just see something with our eyes. It was great. And then it was like the one opportunity we had to to finally see the man behind the Mysterio and we're just going to get this super campy, long-winded, needless monologue on the top of a bar table, Beto O'Rourke style. And I'm like, really, this is what we're doing? And that could have easily been, and like, it's not like this isn't a trope that we love in comic book movies. That could have been fixed with a series of quick flashbacks throughout, or it could have been fixed with a much more subtle nuance of, of conversation or, or gadget tweaking and world building with different scenes and cutaways and stuff like that. Like the, it, that felt very lazy as far as writing is concerned to me. And that was a key moment in you buying into the, the second half of the narrative. Right. And so like, it may seem like a small detail to others, but to me, I'm like, that's kind of a big whiff for a movie that is asking us to really take a ride with Mysterio for a good chunk of this film. And there are, I, I don't know. There's at least a dozen other ways where they could have done that more artfully without completely thrashing the the pacing of the movie. So uh, I don't know. What do you? What What did you think about that? I'm assuming you probably felt the same way. Like as soon as he started talking, I was like, okay, okay. And then he kept going, and I was like, oh, we're nope, we're really doing this. We're we're going the whole way. Okay, he's gonna do the whole story right there for us. <laughs> yeah, I think that. Um... When it when that scene began, I thought, okay, exposition. You know, it's it's salt. You got to season your your meal here. You just can't overdo it. So exposition, that's cool. Um, you know, as somebody who reads comic books, the the fact that Mysterio wasn't really from an alternate universe full of elemental monsters was not a shock to me. Um, however, uh, you know, so I was kind of waiting for the turn there. Um, once he got the glasses, I was like, okay, this is where it's going to happen. Um, I was intrigued to see this idea of him having a crew, but as that scene went on, I thought this is like, I don't, there's two scenarios in my head. Either they meant for that scene to play out that way, but on paper, it was delightfully campy and not ham fisted campy. And then delightfully campy versus ham fisted. I like the way you put that, but, they, like, <laughs> but t- completely two, two distinctly different things. They are. But the, the point where you cross from one to the other is so subtle until it isn't right. Like the second it's like, Oh, this is fun. This is fun. This is fun. Why is Peter Parker dancing in the street? And so it's, you know, you cross a line at some point, you can't come back. And that scene, the other scenario in my head is they got the movie done. Everything was wrapping up. And then they're like, ah, boy, you know, some of the people in the theater might be really stupid. We might have to really just spell this out for them. Can we get Jake back in here to just do one scene with some extras where he really just explains everything to the audience? And, that's the only two scenarios in my head. I, I want to believe it was the first one because the first one doesn't insult the intelligence of the viewer. The first one is a swing and a miss. And I can, I can absolutely live with, God knows in my career, I've taken a lot of swings and misses. 
our listeners have heard them once a week or so since we started this. <laughs> but I, so I can totally understand you thought something was going to be fun. It ended up being a little weird. That's cool. That scene, however, it got on screen. That scene was to me the weakest point of the film. Um, it, it really was the moment where you saw some of the stitching on it, you know, and it, it just didn't work for me. Okay, so I, I, I guess I, I bring that up to say then, like, I just I really enjoyed the movie, and and it, I'm I'm not asking for Far From Home to be more than what it is because. I felt like we were still living in the, in the wonderful high school um, young Peter Parker world that was established in homecoming. And and, and I love that. So I'm recognizing that at the same time, but I just don't know if I'm comfortable putting far from home near the top portion of the Spider-Man pantheon with just those kind of glaring, uh, glaring moments but let's let's pivot for a second here can i just ask this one question yeah so nick fury's just gonna totally send a whole bunch of teenagers to Prague, knowing that they're all probably gonna die yeah i actually spent well well the obvious you know the 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 deus ex machina there that makes up for all of the non-nick fury things that happened is that he's a scroll right um valid he's, He's ta- Talos or Talos. I forget how the pronunciation went. Um, Spoiler alert, he's a scroll. Yep, heads up. Uh, but not in a secret invasion kind of way, in a give your buddy a break from work kind of way. Um, but I, I think that, no, I kept wait. I actually really needed that scroll scene at the end, as silly as it was, because I kept sitting there waiting for Nick Fury to be part of the illusion. Uh, because he was doing so many non Nick Fury-ish things that I actually was ready to come in here and that be one of my complaints was the really out of character way that Nick Fury behaved in this. Not necessarily, not that, you know, Nick Fury would totally send high schoolers to die if he thought it would serve the greater good. Let's be really <laughs> clear on that. Like Nick Fury would pull the freaking trigger their, himself. We don't need those Gen Zers and their, their Snapchats and their whatnot filters. Absolutely. Yeah, you are exactly right. He said, say what again? And he pulled the trigger if that's what it took. Um, no, Nick, that's Nick would kill. Coming out in. Yeah, Nick would kill every one of those kids if he thought it would serve the greater good. That's Nick Fury. But the way that he did it when it was so unnecessary, the the whole just getting completely fooled at every turn by Mysterio, all of it didn't really work for me until okay that's that's ben mendelson okay all right i can enjoy this that was funny um and and let's be honest our life is always a little bit more delightful when there's more ben mendelson oh absolutely it it actually to me is maybe the good kind of campy to do that it's it's the sort of thing that maybe they thought the bar scene would be when he at the end is revealed to have not been nick fury because it yeah, in a certain sense, you could accuse it of being a lazy writing thing. But at the same time, it changes how I look at the whole performance I just saw. It adds a layer of nuance to it. And it's silly enough to be fun. And I can, you know, it, it works for me. Um, so that that brings me to my next question. <laughs> the, 
the end of the credit scenes in Marvel movies, that's, that's a thing. It has been from day one, and we know that, right? Half of them are decent. The other half are just like, oh, cool, they put something there because they expected us <laughs> to, right? Yes. I will give Far From Home some credit here. It took massive cojones to – I can't believe that they put those two aha moments in after credit scenes and not at the actual end of the movie. Does that make sense? No, that makes perfect sense. But let me let me answer the question then by saying that I think that they are perfectly my first reaction was, wow, have we ever had so much consequence for the movie we just saw in those scenes? But then the more I thought about it, the more I thought about it, the more I thought that's the perfect place for them. Because the movie itself should probably be viewed independent of those two scenes because those are a little bit more about what's to come than about what we just saw, right? And so one of my least favorite things in the world in entertainment is when a television show spends the final episode of a season just laying groundwork for next season because I feel like I just want to know what wrap I wrap up what you were doing here. Don't just give me an hour long teaser trailer. And so I actually really appreciated that they didn't jam the ideas that they might pursue in future movies into this one. Um, in fact, to spoil our amazing retrospective, that's the very thing that makes it impossible for me to bump amazing two up the list is all those things getting jammed in. And so I actually really like that they moved the spoiler or not the spoiler, excuse me, but spoilers um, that they moved the reveal of his secret identity to everyone to the very end of the thing after the credits. So far from home gets to be its own thing with its own themes and its own ideas. And the notion of protecting his secret identity doesn't have to be a theme that gets brought into that, but it can still be a thing that happens during this viewing experience. So it was a good way to me. I honestly think outside of castings and Daya as MJ, and of course, bringing back JK Simmons, like I honestly think that might be the most, the single most brilliant moment of the two movies is like, it's just it's amazing the emotional gauntlet and mental processes you can go through in such a short period of time because it was like the movie ended and i was like oh i really enjoyed that and i'm so glad jake gyllenhaal delivered and then the go-go's vacation starts playing during the scrapbook style and and i literally was i literally started to pen the tweet best use of go-go's vacation ever and as soon as i hit send on that the first after credit scene hit and when the when his secret identity is revealed, I, it was just kind of like the crap my pants moment of like they did not just do that. They did not just do that. And it's a brilliant tactical decision to say like we are going to give you a thoroughly enjoyable adrenaline filled movie going experience, and you're going to start putting the lid on the box. And as soon as you're about to clamp that last cl- that last clasp, we're gonna go like nope oh. Oh, no, no, one more thing. And we're just going to literally blow the roof off the point. And I don't think that that reveal carries as much weight if it's dropped in the earlier portion of the movie. It's, Agreed. It, it's amazing what 60 second difference and a moment of finality can do to the way you capture an entire movie. I really don't think like I, 
if I were to at, if I were asked to rate Spider-Man Far From Home on a scale of one to ten, I'm probably hovering between the seven and a half, eight range. And I don't know if it gets that same score if they don't handle the identity reveal the same way. Okay, clear the runway because this is where I've got most of my thoughts. Are you ready? Let's do it. Do it. Do it. This is you. Okay, you were clearing out James Harden. Do your thing. I am going. I'm going total. This is peak Jake right here. I'm going comics. I'm going sequel predictions. I got it all. All right. Here we go. By the way, let me just say one more time. Go back to our second episode on this watching comics feed. It is where we um, review our thoughts on Spider-Man Homecoming. Jake correctly predicted that Mysterio would be the next featured villain in a Spider-Man movie. So Mm. Jake, props to you. Again, you you are – you are the genius among the rest of us, Laban. I am proud of you. And I just wanted to acknowledge that in front of every single one of our listeners. Here's the thing. I have like three talents and two of them have to do with Spider-Man movies. So this is the only place I'm useful. So this is my moment. I'm not going to get another Spider-Man movie for at least six weeks at the rate it's been going. So I got to make it count right now. You've, you've been called um, to the stage. The microphone is here yours. Here we go. All right. Um, nobody saw the weird stretches I just did, man, <laughs> not a visual medium. Um, in the bald head. Okay. So the move to the other thing I really loved about far from home is I feel like it understands the conflict of Peter Parker, where if he, and I said this on that episode, you just mentioned, if he does something good for Spider-Man or good as Spider-Man, it's bad for Peter Parker. And if he does something good for Peter Parker, it's bad for Spider-Man. And that's the constant conflict of the character. That's that's the core virtue that establishes the orbit of the actual narrative. Like that, that's, that's the oversimplification that basically says, this is the core principle. Therefore the story can now happen. It's exact. It's the yes and or the yes but of the storytelling. When they're building a narrative for a Spider-Man story, you've always got to consider that opportunity cost there. So all that being said, what I truly loved about Far From Home is that it took that idea from Homecoming and it ran with it even more. It really built on it. And it is because of that that I love the reveal of his secret identity. But let me say... Had it not been done when and how it was, I would have hated it because it calls back to one of the most controversial and poorly done Spider-Man moments in comic book history, which is the handling of Spider-Man post-Civil War in comic books. Now, it it gets broken into a couple of events. Doctor Strange is involved. Um, Mephisto, who is the devil but isn't, gets involved. Um... But basically what happens is through a series of magic uh, interventions, Spider-Man's secret identity, which had been revealed to the world, is put back in the bottle. No one knows now. And then his marriage at the time to Mary Jane, it never happened. They are two people who used to date and they broke up and that's it. And so he reverts to this really status quo Peter Parker, the bachelor who just can't catch a break thing. And it's so, there's so much wrong with it. I'm not going to go into it here, but for those who listen, who are comic fans, like deep dive comic fans know that I am among the legion of people that just could not handle 
one more day. Um, it just didn't work for me. And we've gotten some great stories since, so whatever, I'll, I'll take it. But I don't love that story. The reveal of His Twitter's... handle is at that Jake Owens. <laughs> send me your love, send me your hate. Know that I will check it once a week. Bring that it is, on. That is where you send the hate mail, everyone. <laughs> All right, Jake, I don't... continue. Continue I don't think I'm going to get a ton of hate mail on that one. Actually, I'm trying to like be measured there because I don't want to join the legions of people screaming about this 10 years later. However, <laughs> um, all that being said, man, we can, could I could do a, a monologue for 90 in, minutes on in that. The, um, in the age of 21st century hot takes and social media dumb, that's the ultimate goal of like, I just want to stand apart from the masses of people yelling about something that they don't know what they're yelling about. Yeah. Like, I hate when I share an opinion with those people because I'm like, oh, yeah, but I don't want to be a jerk about this. Um, So the reveal of Peter's secret identity at the end of this movie, it 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 naturally creates a knee jerk association to that reveal of his identity in Civil War and then all the madness that followed the character. However, by doing the movies the way that they did, John Watts has put together two films now that have understood this character and his supporting cast and his mythology and his characterization has understood it so well and has built so solidly upon it and created situations and villains that allow for an organic exploration of that that my trust has been earned so completely that I'm thrilled to be taken into unknown waters here and see what happens when this idea gets explored of what happens when Peter Parker's identity is revealed. And how is that going to fit into the MCU where secret identities aren't really a thing? And it's such a fascinating concept. So here's what I want to see for the sequel. This is my... And I'm going to I'm I'm going to really like backtrack on a lot of stuff I've said in the past because they've earned my trust so much. This is what I want. Mitch, I'm ready for it. I want to see it. I want a Sinister Six focused movie. (laughs) And what I want, I want the Vulture and the Scorpion. Scorpion's not Scorpion yet, but he's in jail with the Vulture. I want them out of jail, a powered Scorpion. I want to find out that Mysterio did what he always does and faked his death. I want the rumors about Norman Osborn being a major player in the next phase of the MCU to be true. And I want the Green Goblin to put this group together. I want to see somebody brilliant who can live in the shadow of Spider-Man 2 cast as Doc Ock. And I want to see Kraven the Hunter brought to life. And then throw me a wild card in there. Because that was, what, five that I just named. Mm -hmm. Um, Throw me a wild card in there like, I don't know, maybe you need a thug like Rhino. Maybe, um, I I don't know. I don't really care who the sixth one is. There's a lot of moving parts. Um, There's a lot of people that could fit that role. But give me that Sinister Six film where these villains that have begun to creep up around Peter... And all of them having a different motivation for it, gang up to ruin his life personally, and then to kill him as Spider-Man. 
give me the vulture who maybe they're holding his daughter hostage and he has no choice but to help these people that violate his code of honor. The scorpion is a loose cannon who just wants to hurt this kid. Mysterio is totally unhinged and who knows why he's doing it. Norman's pulling the strings. Doc Ock is in there because his ego won't let him not be. I'm telling you, man, you do this thing right. You let John Watts dig into this thing, give him a full Avengers Endgame three-hour runtime if he needs it, and just let her rip, man, because that thing would be the greatest film experience of my life. I need it. I want it. I am calling for it right now. Whoever out there was listening when I said Sandman, thank you very much. This is my next request. (laughs) This is what I'm looking for. I speak it into the universe and the universe shall deliver, but holy crap, have you created a lot of work for the universe? universe <laughs> to do. Um, but I mean, you, you nailed it with Mysterio. You nailed it with Sandman. So I, I'm not going to doubt you now, Jake. Tonight I'm buying a lottery ticket and it's it's going to be a winner. But man, there's a lot there. I just, I can't shake the thought that I've had of, what do you think? Idris Elba is Doc Ock. Oh, interesting. I need to process that because the problem is that any Doc Ock we cast lives in that shadow. And Alfred Molina was so good. He was so good. And, and it's, it becomes this problem of like, it's too good of a character to not take advantage of again, but there's such an iconic performance. I mean, ooh, l- ooh, let me wait, go wait, crazy wait. here. I have another one for you. Yeah, yeah. David Oyelowo. Okay, I like both of those. Let me go crazy here for a moment. If we're bringing J.K. Simmons back, could we just get Alfred Molina back? That would be amazing. The- and, and I love both of those castings. I love Idris Elba, and I love David Oyelowo. Oye- you know. Thank you. Um, I love those guys. I think those are both brilliant castings. But I wonder if we've already opened the bottle of we've let jk simmons reprise a role why not give alfred molina a do-over and have him do it right i mean that was an initial thought and as the bechtel cast calls him feminist icon alfred molina i it's it's basically it's his right like if they're doing sinister six doc ock has to be in there you can't have sinister six without him he's a flagship iconic um villain in the spider-man canon then at that point it's you you write the script you send out the notice to his team and you just wait because it's it's his if he wants it no one's going to argue with it and then if he turns it down then you go down the pathway of finding someone else but it's, it's basically it's his. he could he could call up sony today and be all like hey if you're doing it i'm in and then they would probably actually write the script around that I I would let. Oh, you know what? Did I say Craven? No. When I was, I don't think so. That's my sixth. It's Craven the Hunter for number six. Nice. And it's so. Give me Doc Ock, Green Goblin, Mysterio, Vulture, Scorpion, Craven the Hunter. That's my Sinister Six. Give us. So you need to develop. Let Green Goblin be developed in another movie, since they're talking about Norman as a big bad for the whole MCU. So let him be developed in another movie. 
Scorpion's got just enough character development. You give him some time with JJ to become Scorpion. So give me some Craven scenes and let the movie really focus on Doc Ock as the primary villain to be developed. And give me that film right there with those six taking advantage of knowing who Peter Parker is. They're targeting Aunt May. They're targeting MJ. They're targeting Ned. Give me maybe throw some tragedy in there because remember, Spider-Man has to fail. That's part of the character is that he fails. And let let's you know maybe somebody's gonna get it you know with six bad guys like that I mean, after them how is he gonna save everyone yeah maybe Spider Man and Vulture fail to save MJ um, see that just that would be it is Vulture of course is because that's how it's gonna end is they're all gonna turn on one another as they do and it's gonna be that the different motivations of each character Vulture and Craven have this weird code of honor you know maybe with Doc Ock you go with alfred molina's version inspired the video game version which is almost kind of like a breaking bad doc ock who starts as this really nice dude and like degrades into this bad man maybe he has this flash of morality i don't know i'm not trying to do all the work for marvel i'm just trying to give him some skeleton to put some meat on here it is amazing to consider the evolution that we have taken in, in in what we want to see now and the level of trust that we build into things. Because if you think about this, I think the key, the key tipping point are there's two key tipping points. Number one is would we even say, what is it? Five years ago, six years ago, when was age of Ultron? Like, would we even say by the time age of Ultron comes out that we would be ready for a movie that that was going to be that jam packed and that convoluted because we hadn't seen something like that before. We probably would be all like, as badly as I want a sinister six movie, I don't know if it would be good. And then the other component is you take a look at suicide squad as, as bad as bad as cautionary tale cautionary tale and as bad as that movie was that movie was missing a very key component a very key component that was one they didn't give viola davis enough real estate number two they didn't have a north star they didn't have a hero hanging everything in the balance they didn't have something that was galvanizing beyond the whole like oh we're bad guys and we want less jail time so i guess we'll do this so the the key component to making the sinister six movie work is one it's amazing to consider how much trust Marvel has built in us since Age of Ultron to make it seem completely tangible that, yes, a movie with this much main focal points, this many main focal points would be done well. But I'm right there with you. We need this movie, and I think it could be great. And also, the key component is you're making it a Spider-Man movie not a Sinister Six movie. If yes, it was, if absolutely. It was, if it was just Marvel's edition of Suicide Squad, I think it would flop. But if you've got Spider-Man as the cornerstone and we've already established this world with two phenomenal movies, then it's like, cool, you infuse the Sinister Six into the next chapter of Spider-Man and now all your components to make a strong narrative come together are there and now you can just focus on getting the right people delivering great nuanced performances in the limited screen time that they have and now you just have a two and a half hour movie that is all killer no filler yeah i mean i'm convinced i am too well i don't know why they're not making it now we've clearly just solved the issue well you know given our track record this week i'm feeling pretty full of myself and I'm feeling pretty powerful at the moment, so I'm going to go ahead and say it's going to happen. Write it down. I think that's what totally I mean. 2021, 2022, go see that movie, Spider-Man vs. the Sinister Six. 
Yeah, we'll be at the red carpet reveal and uh, premiere because uh, obviously we're we're going to be at the very least associate producers of this movie. Working title: Spider Man Homewreckers. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. The, the, the big question is: the big question we haven't answered is: Do you think Night Monkey would make an appearance? Man, I'm so glad you remembered Night Monkey. I, I mean, Night Monkey's got to, right? This is one of those things that I promise you within six months, somebody in a comic book, some comic book character references Night Monkey. It's going to become part of the mythos forever. And it's totally, yeah, it's Night, gonna be. Night Monkey's got to show up, right? I mean, I'd buy that comic. I'd buy that comic yes. for my daughter. That deserves to be in her growing collection. Oh, there we go. We get somebody to do a Night Monkey limited series, you know, six issues gathered into a trade. There it is. Done. Boom, done. They're printed. Man, Jake, we are making so much money for folks. Grant Morrison presents Night Monkey. <laughs> Amazing. Art by okay. Frank Miller. Okay. Woo. All right. <laughs> Fi- final moment. It wouldn't be the internet unless we are putting ourselves in a difficult position to say something that we want to change our minds on later. Rank far from home for me in the Spider-Man yeah. movie canon. I came ready for once, um, sort of. So as always, I reserve the right to be wrong. I reserve the right to change my mind at a moment's notice. Um, so when you make your infographic, be aware that it might not be update by up to date by the time you post it. So <laughs> my official as of this second rankings of Spider-Man films in the bottom spot, Spider-Man 3, in the... Next spot, The Amazing Spider-Man in the regretful asterisk because I I do want to love it, but it makes it hard. Amazing Spider-Man 2, then Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 1, then Spider-Man Homecoming with another asterisk that I've got a lot of emotion tied up in that. And then my top three, I'm going to go Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man Far From Home, and Spider-Verse is going to be my ordering wow. there. Wow. I, I can't, I can't unseat spider verse at this moment just because I have to be objective. I have to look at it and say, spider verse does so much. So right. It, it gathers the, the idea of spider man and hits it so perfectly presents us with a couple versions of Peter Parker, not to mention miles Morales, all these other things. Uh, it's it's so well done. It's so perfect. Um, it's got to be my number one. Spider-Man 2 I love, but I also think that Spider-Man 2 is there as much because of its historical importance as because of its merits as its own thing. And that's not a knock on it. That's a compliment to it. Um, also, that super rad scene in the hospital with Doc Ock's tentacles. Um and then Homecoming, or excuse me, not Homecoming, Far From Home is just for me, it, it takes Homecoming and turns it to 10, so or to 11, if you will. And so Far From Home gets Homecoming's spot in the top three. Yeah. Wow. So that's me. Whew. Jake coming in hot. There it, <sighs> is. there it is. I did it. I did it. Yeah, I think off the cuff, my number one, I said earlier, Spider-Verse. My number two is the first Raimi Spider-Man my number three 
is probably Homecoming, number four being Spider-Man 2, and the number five being The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Like, I think I think that's some variance of my top five. You know, and, and let me say that I don't find your – this is going to sound weird because you just placed Far From Home a solid, what, five spots or four or five spots lower than I did. I don't find our lists that different, though. Um, like, there's some differences, but I think that – and you're, you're free to say I'm putting words in your mouth and tell me I'm wrong. I feel like, though, it, it seems like there's such a small margin of error on the good Spider-Man films, and this character – in a lot of ways, this character has been the opposite of, oh man, let's say Superman, and depending on the decade, Batman, and those characters just keep getting kicked around a little bit, and not necessarily get justice done to them. You know, because for every for every Richard Donner Superman, you've got Superman Returns, right? Mm. Or the Quest for Peace. Um, hey, d- dude, don't hate on Quest for Peace. Nuclear Man. I, I just, I can't Jake. do it, man. <laughs> okay, so we just, we just wrote another episode there. But um, <laughs> I, um, all that being said, I, I just, um, Spidey has got this embarrassment of riches where the bad Spider-Man films are still pretty good, and wherever whatever you think of as the weaker films. They're still pretty good, right? Excluding Spider-Man Three, with a notable yeah. exception. Yeah, I've, I've been trying really hard not to not to go down that road again because I feel like I've kicked that. Uh, I feel like Spider-Man Three is this bleeding corpse in an alley that I've been kicking for the last couple of years. Well, and I'm trying 3, to let it be. Spider-Man Three is just the physical manifestation of your PTSD <laughs> in so many ways. Uh, yeah, Spider-Man Far From Home, man. It was good. It was yeah. really good. And I'm I'm glad that we've got Jillian Hall and Mysterio in this orbit. Yeah, um, I absolutely am. So hit us up on Twitter. We have a Watching Comics Twitter page. It is at Watch Comics Pod. That's comics with an X at Watch Comics Pod. We want to hear your thoughts on Spider-Man Far From Home. And Jake definitely wants to hear from you about how he was wrong today because let's be mm. real. There's at least one of us that's wrong on every episode. And we know Twitter will take care of telling us that. We also want to hear from you. Whatever podcast platform you listen to us on, feel free to give us a rate and a review on there. It would help other people find us. And it would also be just a cool, kind gesture of being a fan of ours. So, yeah, thanks in advance. Shout out to the Geek Dad Podcast Network, as always, for letting us call that place home. It is remarkable. We love it there. And hit us up. We want to know what you think. We will be coming at you next week with more awesome stuff. We'll see you then. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.